Welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Welcome. So glad that you are here and wherever you are. Uh, if you're not in the room with me, I'm glad that you are with us. I want to start today by taking you back to the year 1986. In 1986, uh, a gentleman wrote a book that became quite popular, so, so millions of copies. Uh, you might remember this. Um, I'm curious to know if you do remember this. Uh, the guy's name was Robert Fulgham, and he wrote a book, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Do you remember this book? Raise your hand. Okay. In the last service, very few people, and I was very surprised. So anyway, in this book, the premise that he builds in this book is that the lessons in life that matter are not complicated, that you literally were taught them when you were very, very young. Let me give you a list of, uh, this is not the complete list, but these are the kind of things that he says you learned that make all the difference in life. You learned them young. Um, Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. (laughs) When you go out in the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. These simple little things, he says, these are the things that really matter in life. Then he wrote this paragraph. I want to read to you this paragraph. He said, take any one of those items and extrapolate it into sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family life, your work, or your government, or your world, and it holds true and is clear and firm. Think what a better world it would be if we all, the whole world, had cookies and milk about three o'clock every afternoon and then lay down with our blankies for a nap. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or if all government, uh, if all governments had as a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and to clean up their own mess. Wouldn't that be a much better world? Now, as popular as this book was and as, uh, you know, uh, credible as his premise, as thesis was, I want to suggest that you didn't learn those things in kindergarten. I want to suggest you learn those things earlier than kindergarten. I want to suggest that most of us learn those things from our mom in our home before we went to kindergarten. Okay, I don't know if you agree with this or disagree with this, but I don't think mothers get enough credit for the help and the, you know, the teaching that they do. Now, I'm not dissing fathers. I'm just telling you, I think moms are incredible. And I think our moms taught us things and we maybe have never like really gone back to say thank you for the basic truths that you taught us. Now, this is not a a message about moms, but it is a message about basic truths that we were taught. I want to suggest something your mom taught you. And in fact, I'm willing to believe that you know this and I'm willing to believe that it was your mom who told you. So I'm going to start a sentence and you finish the sentence. If you can't say something nice... Don't say, where do you think you learned that? My mom. Yeah, my guess is it was your mom, all right? That was your mom. Now, I'm telling you all that to say this. We're in a series right now in the book of James, and James is a fantastic book. So find the book of James in your Bible. It's towards the end of your Bible. Uh, It's certainly towards the end of the New Testament. And uh, if you find the book of James, find the third chapter, and and I'm going to read something, and I'm going to tell you the problem with what we're about to read. There is nobody in this room who doesn't know the truth that we're about to read. This truth that we're going to read is one of the most repeated truths in the Bible, and it's one of the least heeded. 
In other words, it, you can find this over and over and over again. You learn it. See, the problem's going to be, you go, yeah, I know that. The problem is not that we don't know that, it's that we don't do that. That's the problem. So, so as I go through this, you're, you're going to understand, it's just going to sound very, very like, oh, the, the, duh. Yeah, we know that, all right? Now, we've already been taught in the book of James to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But let me show you something that he says here in James chapter 3, and I'm going to begin with verse 1. Now, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us and we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Now, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, there is nobody who didn't understand that. We all got it. We all need to get it in our, in our con- we need to get it deep within who we are. And I'm gonna just going to pray. It's the most repeated, least heated teaching in the Bible. Let me, let me pray for us. So God, help us, to, help us to just relax right now and listen and, and be challenged to understand what you're trying to teach us. God, we all have a mouth and we all shoot it off. We all say things and then we go, why did I say that? Help us to have the wisdom that you're trying to instill within us here in this passage. And to that end, we pray. Amen. Okay, now what I want to do is I want us to go back through the text that we just read. I always want to read the text to get an idea. That's how I study the Bible. I want to get the big idea, kind of what's the overarching thing. And then I want to look at it a little bit more closely. So let's go. And I want to show you that there's three things that he's trying to explain to us, uh, really, about how we use our mouth. The first of which, you might feel like does not apply to you. I want to explain how it does, is whenever you speak for God, whenever you speak for God, for God, okay? Now, l- l- let, me, let me show you, all right? James 3, 1 and 2. Now, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And you go, oh, good, this doesn't apply to me. This applies to somebody else who is a teacher. Now, let me explain a couple of things. If you're an elementary school teacher, you're a high school teacher, you're a driving instructor, you're a golf teacher, that you're not who he's talking about. Who he's talking about are any one of us who would ever dare to tell somebody what God would actually think about a situation. That's what teachers do. They interpret the word of God and explain. So he's certainly talking to me. But here's what I need you to understand. Okay, there is a, 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 a big tendency that we all have. Now listen very carefully. That we believe God believes what we believe. 
And so we often say, well, you know, you know what, God feels about that. And then we, uh, you know, we literally give voice to our opinion. This is what God feels about that. What James is saying is, whenever you bring God into your conversation, you be very careful what you assign to the voice of God. And this is very relevant for us. Now, here's what I need you to understand. I, I believe, I believe that it is a gift that God gives people, not, not everybody, but it's a gift that God gives people to be able to speak for him in a way that other people can understand and get it right. The greatest joy of my life, oh, the greatest joy of my life has been being a teaching pastor at a church. And, and when people say, you know what, that never made sense, but man, that made sense. Uh, my goal in opening the word of God is always to try to make it as simple as I can make it, not make it complicated, make it simple so that anybody can understand because we have young people in here and we have old people in here and we're sitting next to each other. We're a multi-generational church. I want everybody to get it. But here's what you need to understand, okay? Whenever you start speaking for God, there's a higher standard you're gonna get held to. And it certainly applies to me, but it applies to all of us who would ever interpret, who would ever say to anyone, you know what God says? You know what God thinks about that? And parents, do you find yourself thinking these thoughts? I'm telling you, this is something we need to think about. Now, I want to remind you that in the day, there was a position that certain people held that was highly esteemed. It was, it was called a rabbi. A rabbi, the word rabbi is a teacher. So a teacher would gather around them disciples who would literally hang on their words, hang on their teaching. They were students, they were followers, they were learners. Jesus was a rabbi who had disciples. And a bunch of people would look at the rabbi, and now listen carefully, they're an influencer. They're an influencer. And, and they have a following, and I want what they have. So James is issuing a warning, and he's saying, hey, be, be, be very careful before you step into the role of being a teacher of God's word. Make sure you understand, you gotta get this one right. And you might not understand this, but I don't ever get up here I don't ever step up here and go, I'm just gonna wing it, it'll just come to me. I don't ever do that. I got to get this right. So I have to spend time preparing messages. It's really, really important. But here's what I want you to understand. There's three temptations that every teacher of the Bible has, okay? I wanna, I wanna explain this to you so you can hold me accountable, so I can hold you accountable, all right? Three temptations of, of a teacher of the Bible. Number one, to teach falsehoods as truths. Let me show you what I'm talking about. And I'm gonna give you, uh, I'm gonna give you passages uh, that I, I wanna just kinda walk, walk you through. So false teaching, here, here. I'm gonna take you to 2 Peter chapter one. Listen carefully, church. But there, will, but there will also false prophets among the people, just as there will, will be false teachers among you. Now they will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Now many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. There are people who will tell you things in the name of God for their own motives and ultimately they're trying to manipulate you. You have to understand this. And James says, don't you dare take the role of a teacher if you don't wanna be held accountable because what you're teaching people is gonna come back. That's kind of the first thing. The second thing that I think every teacher is tempted is to tell you what's true but not be willing to do what I tell you is true. This is called hypocrisy. 
So the first temptation is to teach things that you know are not true. The second thing is to teach what's true, but know that you don't do those things. That's not your life. In uh, Matthew 23, Jesus said these words. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, his followers, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, but you must be careful. So, So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. In other words, they, they, they love to, the idea of telling you what's right and telling you what you ought to do, but if you followed them for any amount of time, you would realize that they don't live the standard they preach. Now, when I just talked about the role of a rabbi and how respected they were, you need to understand preachers in America used to be like that. We're not anymore. Preachers used to be considered the most uh, 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 educated, uh, the, the most wise. In, in any town, the preacher's voice always mattered. But you, you know what? There's too many preachers now that have done things, and you hear about them as I hear about them, and you just go, I can't believe they were doing that. They had that thing going. They were in that relationship, that illicit relationship. So be, be very aware that teachers aren't telling you things that aren't biblical and be very aware that if they're not living what they're saying, you need to not listen to what they're saying. Here's the third one, all right? This one's very important. Here's a third temptation to a teacher. Curation of the content. What does that mean? Well, Paul said it this way. For the time will come when people will, will not put up with sound doctrine Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth. You see, the third temptation that, you know, false teaching and, and, you know, hypocrisy, but telling you what you want to hear for fear that if I tell you what you need to hear, you won't come back. I'm going to let this one soak in. You are living in a world that curates your information. It's computer algorithms. They, they watch, they listen, they pay attention to what you, you swipe, what you, you know, click on. And they understand. They're gathering information about your political views, for instance. They know what you are. They know what you like. They know what sets you off. And in the world we're living in, we're, we're creating these echo chambers that only give up. It's called confirmation bias. We're only going to shoot information your direction because if we send you the wrong information, You'll shut the system down. You'll get off your Facebook page. You'll get off TikTok. You'll get off your Twitter. You'll get off Instagram. So we want to make sure that we're only moving information that is what you want to experience. And, and, and we think, I've got a well-rounded understanding of this issue, when in reality you don't. You have curated information designed strictly for you so that you'll stay on the platform. Now, again, you can check all this out. Here's what I need you to understand. There is a huge temptation when opening the word of God. I know that there are things in here that are offensive. I know that if I say certain things, if you're of a certain political persuasion, you're going to hear it one way. If you're of a different political persuasion, you're going to hear it differently. It's really tempted to go, I'm not going there. I'm not going to open that up. I'm not going to talk about that. So you're only going to get things that don't upset you. Here's what you need to understand. Please listen to me. All right. If you are all about and pick either left or right, okay, it doesn't matter. If that's all you're about and you place that above the word of God, you've got to understand you're trying to get the word of God to serve your political platform. It's not going to do that. 
when you come here, what I'm trying to do is, look, I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. What I care about is, do you want to know what God's kingdom is about? And it's above and beyond the political platforms of our country. This is really hard for us to get through our head. And so I need to tell you things. And listen, listen, listen. If you never want to stop coming to church at Central because I said something that offended you, I'm not doing my job. Do you understand this? I'm keeping the truth from you so that you'll stay here instead of telling you the truth and letting you wrestle with it, whatever it does to you. So Paul says, uh, 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 James says, you be very, very, very slow to stand up and tell people what God says because you're going to be held accountable for it. Now just put that in your back pocket and hold on to it. That's the first of the three things he says. The second one is this. This is just about the tongue about the tongue. The first is about people who speak for God. This is just about the tongue because it's really easy to think he's talking about somebody else. He's not talking about me. Okay, listen, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and they're driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot likes to go or wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and set and is itself set on, on fire by hell. Um, okay, now listen. He gives three illustrations of his own point. I don't need to add anything. A bit in a horse's mouth is a very small thing, but you can control the direction of the horse. A rudder is a very small thing on a ship, but you can control the direction of the ship. A spark, a spark is a very small thing, but an entire forest can be burned down by it. He says, you know what that's like? That's like your tongue. That's like that thing in your mouth. That, that thing in your mouth is going to set a direction for your life. And you're going to be remembered by what you said with your mouth. Now, let's just stop here. Let's get really real. Let's get uncomfortably real. Are you carrying around in your memory bank something somebody said to you that was unkind, unhelpful, unedifying, discouraging, defeating. Can you just think of some, somebody said to you in your lifetime, I don't know how far back you have to go. Can you think of something your parents said to you, something a teacher said to you, something a preacher said to you, something someone said to you? Why is it you can remember that all these years later? If I can be really real with you, let me tell you something about my own life. Um, I, I, I cannot tell you I've ever had a great relationship with my mom. I, I can't tell you why it's been strained, although I've come over the years to understand more than I ever understood. There are reasons. But I, I got to tell you, when I think about it, when I think about my mom, and by the way, she passed away at the beginning of 2020, just before the pandemic hit. But I got to tell you something that is painful. Um, when I think about, like, what, what harmful statements am I carrying around? Let, let me just tell you a couple of things my mom said to me, all right? This is not a full list, by the way. This is just a couple of examples. You'll get the flavor of it. When I became a believer, uh, it was 48 years ago today. I mean, literally, not to the day, but 48 years ago to this day. Uh, when I came home from a camp where I received Jesus, and again, many young people received Jesus at camp, so did I. I was so excited. I got baptized up at that camp with my mom's permission. But as soon as I got home, she said, look, I need you to understand something. 
And this is what she told me. This is a fad. This is a face. This is going to pass. And what she said was, you be very careful about the things you say to people about Christianity because you're going to look like a fool when you drop out. 48 years ago. I still remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. I can't believe she said that to me. I was on fire and just lit up the greatest direction of my life I've ever had. And she absolutely torpedoed it. Well, she was wrong, but I remember it. And, and then uh, not long after that, I, I, met, I met Lisa. And, and I fed, fell head over heels for Lisa when I met her. And I started dating her, and it was like so obvious to me, this is the woman I want to marry. And um, she was out of my league for all intents and purposes. And the truth of the matter is, is I want to win this woman's heart. And it goes well, by the grace of God. And so I want to marry her. And I'm scared to death. So I don't know what to do. But I've heard somewhere that you should ask her father before you ask her. I don't know if that's true or false, okay, I, at the time. I just, I thought I'm going to ask her father if I can have, you know, his daughter's hand in marriage. And so I screwed up the courage to go have that conversation. And he was like, you absolutely can have my daughter's hand in marriage. And he was so supportive. And then I went to Lisa, which is really going to be the real test here. <laughs> and I did the thing. I got down on my knees and I said, you know, the kindest way I know how to say it, I would love to spend the rest of my life with you. And uh, <laughs> just because there is a God, she said yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, we're going to get married. And now I know we're going to get married because I got his blessing. I got her agreement. And so I go, let's go tell my mom. And so we set this dinner up to go take my mom out to dinner. And, and I'm so excited to reveal to her. And uh, I say to my mom, my Lisa's there. My mom's there. It's just the three of us. And I don't have a dad. And I go, Mom, I'm just really thrilled to tell you that Lisa and I are going to get married. And what you would expect would be some sort of, like, that's awesome. Good, good news. That is not what I got. What I got is two things that I clearly remember. My mom looked at me, and she said, in front of Lisa, how in the world do you plan to support her? And if you don't understand what she's saying, you are a washout loser who can't even hold a job. How in the world do you think you're going to take care of her? Then she turned to Lisa and she said, do you have any idea what you're getting yourself into? That was 45 years ago. Lisa and I are still married, <laughs> doing great. Life's good. Let me tell you something that happened about 36 years ago. There was one church that I wanted to be on the staff of. There is one church, I, the only one church I've ever wanted to be on the staff of. It's Central Christian Church. Now, let me explain. I knew of this church long before I worked here. I, I've loved this church forever. Ever since, I, I mean, I was in high school, I discovered this church. I've loved this church since then. I just haven't been able, yeah, I haven't worked here. Until in 1987, I got offered a job here. I was so thrilled. Finally, I get to work at Central. Okay, 36 years ago, I got this job offer. I called my mom and I said, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I got a job at Central. And you know what my mom said to me? Don't buy a house. You won't be employed for long. 
None of this is made up. Why am I telling you this? Number one, it's cheaper than therapy. Number two, (laughs) I just want to tell you what James says is true. I, I remember these things. They're like arrows piercing my heart. I've carried this thing all my life. I've spent my life overcoming the predictions of my mom. She's been wrong on every account, by the way. She was wrong on every account. I do want you to know, though, before she died, about five years before she died, I sat down with her and I said, Mom, I need you to understand something because I don't think you get this. Listen, this is what I said to my mom. If you were to die, I need you to know there's not one positive thing I could ever remember you having ever said to me. Not one. I need you to understand that my wife has never heard a positive thing from you. And number two, our kids have never heard anything positive from you. I just think you want to think about that. Because is that what you want to be remembered for? Because I don't think there's like nothing you could say positive. But you've chosen. Well, not long before she died. I got, not, not immediately before she died, but not long after that. I'm driving down the freeway. I get a phone call from my mom. She says, hey, hon, I just want you to know, hon, that caught my ear. Um, I just want you to know how proud I am of you and what you've accomplished in your life. I was so shocked. I almost got in an accident. And I said, mom, are you okay? Because I was positive she had just gone to a doctor and they had just told her, you've got a terminal disease and you better get your record straight for whatever you want to be remembered for. And that was not the case. I can remember this so vividly, the good and the bad. Let me ask you a question. I know you have that. I don't know who said it to you, but are you the one somebody else is remembering right now for what you said to them? That wound you gave them and they're carrying it to this very day. Have you ever thought about that's what you'll be remembered for? Because this is what my mom's remembered for in my life. I'm just being really real. Let me keep going here. Uh, The next verse is James 3, 7, and 8 says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Your tongue is so incredible. In fact, um, I want to show you something. Reptiles and all of this. This guy right here, his name is Joey Henney. This is a true story. Okay, this, I just, this is all true, okay? This guy found this alligator. Actually, he was given this alligator. It was like 14 inches long and 20 months old or something like that. 14 months old, 20 inches long. He's raised this alligator as, uh, and I can't think of the right term. Somebody help me. What, a comfort animal? What do they call that? Support? You know what I'm talking about? Like a cat or a dog? Okay, so he's raised this. This is what he calls this. He, he kisses it. He cuddles with it. He sleeps with it. He walks it, all right? Here's what you need to understand. James is saying that thing is easier to domesticate than your tongue. Your tongue needs to be tamed. An untamed tongue is an undisciplined tongue, is an undirected tongue. It's a tongue with no discernment, no discretion. Think about how many people you know lost their jobs because of something stupid they said. Think about how many people on social media lost their following because of something stupid they said. I just read last night, literally, about a CEO, not a CEO, uh, a C-suite guy at Apple who lost his job because he shot a TikTok talking about the female anatomy. 
He, he lost a job as an exec at Apple. See, the weird thing is, is we just think that we're, we're, we, we, we can get away with this. We, say, we get caught, we go, ah, that's not what I meant to say. What we're really saying is, that's not what I meant to get caught saying. But it's what we said. It's what came out. Here's the big idea of this message. Your mouth will determine the direction of your life. Aim wisely. It's how you're going to be remembered. And one last thing I want to show you here, and then I'll wrap it up. All right? About the source. This is the last session. All right? Section. James 3, 9 to 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What James is saying, and this is important to every one of us, you have a core of who you are. You have a cinder. You have a, an essence, What comes out of your mouth is what comes from the core of who you are. And you're going to be known by your words. You're literally going to be known by your words. And and the words that you say should not be inconsistent where it's kind of like, it's kind of like you have two springs. You have a salt spring that produces salty brackish water and you have a fresh spring that produces pure water. He's saying, guess what? You can't have both. How, How much salt water does it take to corrupt fresh water? And if you're not sure, just watch the news in Florida right now, because it takes next to none. And and so what's coming out of your mouth is revealing the essence of who you are. And this is the way Jesus said it. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. The things that come out of a person's mouth. So my simple challenge to you is, what are you known for saying? What do people, when they think of you, think of that thing you say? Or that thing you've said? Your mouth will determine the direction of your life. Aim wisely. So let me close this message now. I want to I just take you on a real quick journey. Please come with me, okay, on this little journey. I want to read to you something Jesus said. All right, now. I need you to, I didn't say this. Jesus said this. Now, you might not believe in Jesus, and you might think Jesus had no idea what he was talking about. But if you are a Jesus follower and you revere him, listen to what he said. All right? Here. I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. See, we think it's all our actions. Jesus said, no, it's your words. Because your words are going to reveal who you are. All right? Now, we live in a day and an age where words get thrown out all the time. We, we, have, we, we love to tell everyone our opinion. And we have become a culture that feels like everyone ought to hear my opinion. And so when something's posted, we feel like we have a right to respond. And we're going to vent. And we're going to say what we think. We, we, just, we just love to tell everyone what we think. In fact, it's gotten so bad we've got this whole concept now, which is not new to you. You've heard of it. It's trolls. Trolls are people who literally just like cruise through the internet, cruise through platforms looking for things to say that are harmful, who take pleasure in inflicting pain. So you're suffering. I'm going to make fun of it. So this loss, let me tell you what. So it's like you take take entertainment from hurting people, all right? And it's the things you say. And it's a big deal. I mean, it will destroy people. And I can give you illustrations. I think you don't need them. 
Um, we, uh, the people who study this go, there's two problems. People who do that are either psychopaths or they're sadists. It's not a good thing. So let me just stop for a moment and ask you this. Are you just venting on social media, your thoughts? Because see, we think we can just do it with immunity. And, and especially if I can do it anonymously, and then we have this whole thing called keyboard courage, which, man, I can just light somebody up. What, what you need to understand, Jesus says, is every empty word you'll be held accountable for. Now, I'm not telling you that, and I'm not threatening you with that. I'm simply saying, Jesus goes, you might want to think about this. So the, the little journey I want to take you on, this will only take a minute, but I think it's fascinating. I want to take you in, in just a snapshot of something that happened in the Old Testament. King David was the, I mean, he was the king of kings. I mean, he was the guy. He was the, it was the greatest kingdom under King David. But he had a son that usurped his authority and literally uh, committed a coup and gained an allegiance. And King David got driven out of Jerusalem. All right, this is the setting. And his son Absalom was like taking over power. Let me read to you what happened when, the, when this happened. Okay, this is 2 Samuel 16. This is fascinating. Listen carefully, all right? As King David approached Baharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David. This was their first troll ever mentioned, right here. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though the troops, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei, I said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into your hands, into the hands of your son Absalom. You've come to ruin because you are a murderer. Now, I don't know how you want to interpret that in today's language, but that was nothing kind to say to David. Okay, now David has a right-hand guy who heads up his army. Okay, he's like the head of the seals. That's this guy named Abishai. Then Abishai, son of Zerah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. You know what Abishai would have done? He'd have gone right over there and just cut off. Abishai is a warrior, okay? Shimei's just this guy. But here's what Shimei's doing. He's throwing all these things because he thinks David is powerless. He thinks there's no way he can get away with it. I, I think he probably said, man, it felt so good to get that off my chest. I gave him a piece of my mind. I told him what nobody else had the courage to tell him. And off David goes, and he thinks, I've got immunity for what I said. Well, three chapters later, in the next two chapters, before you get to the third chapter, Absalom gets killed. This coup gets overrun. Everyone's calling David back into the city of Jerusalem to regain his throne. This is 2 Samuel 19. They, they sent word to the king, return you and all your men. And then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come up to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Come on home. Shimei, there's our guy, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Baharim, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Why is he in a hurry? He never thought David was going to come back to power. He never thought this would catch up with him. With him were a thousand Benjamites, along with Ziba, the steward of Saul's household, and his 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. They crossed the ford at the king's household to take the king's household over um, to where the king was. Uh, I'm crossing lines here. They crossed the ford to take the king's household over and to do whatever he wished. Then Shimei, son of Gera, this guy, crossed the Jordan. He fell prostrate. Before the king, 
and said to him, man, I had no idea I'd ever see you again. That's what he's saying, all right? May the Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord, the king, left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned, but to... Today I've come here as the first from the tribe of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord the King. Then Abishai, the same guy, <laughs> Abishai said, shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. And David said, no, not now. Been too much bloodshed. He just lost his son Absalom. He said no. And so he didn't. Now, I don't know how you think this story ends, but it's not over. If it were over right there, you would say, you know what? Not always the things you say are going to catch up with you. But you know how the story ends? It doesn't make David look good. But I'll tell you how it ends. David's on his deathbed, and he's turning the kingdom over to his son Solomon. Not long after this, really. You know what he says to his son Solomon? Remember that guy, Shimei? First thing, take him out. And Solomon did. That's how he died. Why am I telling you that? We never think our words are going to come back. We never think the king's coming back and that we're going to be held accountable for what they say, for what we said. Um, Last verse. Proverbs 15 says this. You want to know a better way? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Your your mouth will determine the direction of your life. Aim wisely. Lastly, man, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying. I don't know if this might be brand new to you. But um, if you can't say... If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. How simple, how hard, aim wisely. Let's pray. God, thanks for our time. Thanks for James and just his candid candor, his in your face, in your dish way of communicating gets our attention. God, we need to be very, very careful. May our may our mouths be used to bless people, especially today. Especially may we apply this and either say we're sorry to somebody for something we said that we should never have said. Or may we bless somebody and make their day by saying something super encouraging to them. God, it's so easy to use our tongue to destroy, to literally set a forest on fire. And uh, we'll be remembered for that. Or we'll be remembered as somebody who encouraged and inspired and uplifted and edified, gave life, gave hope, gave wings to dreams. Because we stood behind somebody when they, they told us of what they wanted to do with their life. God, may we be those kind of people. And I pray for this and ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.